Okay, I'm very excited about today's clip because it is two of my favorite writers analyzing each other and talking across to each other. And it's just some level of insight that you don't really get because usually people are just telling their own story. This is people talking about each other's stories and contrasting and comparing themselves with their counterparts. Um, so very excited about it. Have a listen, Packy McCormick and Ben Thompson. All right. Well, I am joined today by Ben Thompson and Packy McCormick. For those that don't know, Ben is the founder of Stratechery, which is a blog slash website and newsletter that has existed since 2013, 2014, covering the strategy that exists uh, within technology broadly defined. Uh, Packy McCormick has, has been on the podcast before. He's the founder of Not Boring, a longtime friend. Uh, Not Boring is also a blog and website, uh, as well as a newsletter that started at the beginning of 2020 to cover technology and strategy as well. Uh, so I, I've given the context of my relationship with Packy before, but quick rehashing of that. We were friends in New York uh, when we were 22 years old, and uh, here we are a dozen years later, and we've uh, both ended up in tech and uh, doing some content-related stuff. Um, ben and I have... I've just been a longtime reader of his, Ben. I went back and looked. Uh, I've been reading since November 2015, so not the earliest days, but definitely the early days. And your writing has shaped a lot of how I think about the tech industry at large. And so uh, I wanted to pull the two of you together because somehow both of you have not spoken, although, Packy, I know you've taken a lot of inspiration from Ben. And uh, yeah, so so I'm, I'm happy to be able to facilitate this and excited for where, where we're going to head. Awesome. Well, it's nice, to, it's nice to meet both of you virtually, if not in person. And I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. The Bucks just won. Um, I might be feeling good because uh, I was I was up very late enjoying the victory. But uh, we'll we'll roll the dice and see how it goes. Yeah, totally. I was going to say that we, uh, Packy and I are right now. It's uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time, and so if we were operating, otherwise we'd be exactly as quick as Ben uh, and just as smart as him. No, no, I I, sl- I sold myself down to your level. Don't worry, yeah, we're exactly. all on the same page here. <laughs> yeah, you should be listening to this on 1.5 to 1.8x to make us sound smarter. That's right. Well, there's going to be some heavy uh, audio engineering we're going to do on our side to make us sound far smarter than we are. But, no, 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 no. I, don't worry. We're 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 all we're all in a depressive state right now for various reasons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, good. Well, uh, so just to start off, uh, we'll have you guys say something nice about the other one. Um, no, uh, so so totally kidding. Uh, so I guess we'll ostensibly. No, no, I'm happy to do that. I, I, I'm yeah. actually. I, I'm no. It's cool we're talking about content and talking to Packy because I think one of the things that has been really uh, interesting to me is, on one hand, obviously, I'm. It's super great to see people doing the model broadly that I'm doing, but it's actually cool because Packy's model is different than mine. And I know, Becky, you you kind of did some subscriptions at the beginning, and then you kind of went all free. Or I don't know if you ever turned on the subscription or not, but but to do like the sponsored approach, which I thought was very clever for a lot of reasons. Um, one, it's good because you can just reach way more people, um, which is always a good thing. You know that that makes me jealous in a way. But two, I think it gives you a much better approach to covering things like startups it, because like um, there's a, you know, you the problem with covering startups and new companies. It is a problem that I've always had with Shachery is you there's no public data and if there's no public data it's hard to know what to do or believe and so you can kind of go the opposite direction say hey look there's no public data i'm looking to invest here's my investment thesis i think it makes a ton of sense you get a really strong alignment between what you write your business model and all that sort of stuff and so i find what you do really impressive not just because the writing is good but also i love when businesses are kind of like fully aligned and you didn't just like mimic what I was doing, but actually sort of figured out a different way. So I, from my perspective, it's super cool. I'm not to sort of railroad or jump ahead in the conversation, but um, it's I've really admired what you've done for that reason alone. I mean, that means uh, a ton. So I, as we, we were kind of talking about a little bit before this, I mean, the you know, Stratechery is is the inspiration, certainly for for Not Boring. Uh, I think the first piece I wrote when I wrote, uh, I took this writing course and you had to write something about somebody whose work you liked. I wrote The Best of Ben, and it was about how your work had impacted the stuff that I was doing at Breather, for better or worse, I guess, because the company ended up selling for $3 million, so thanks a lot. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it was it was certainly an inspiration as I got in. I think in the beginning, I called uh, the newsletter kind of Ben Thompson and Bill Simmons had a baby to get not boring. But to your point, I, I think I realized early on, I was actually, you know, I've always been fascinated in tech and strategy and all of that, and I've avoided it for a really long time because I was like, shit, Ben has this covered. There's nothing else to do here. And so when I decided to finally do it after kind of, you know, writing around the edges for a year, there was a very intentional choice, not on the business model necessarily, but to say like, look, this guy is way smarter than me and this is his corner. I have to go full in on the memes and like kind of this, you know, more humorous and lighter approach. 
Uh, and I think a bunch of things kind of evolved just from that needing to counter position because there was no way that I could compete directly. Well, I think you're being a little generous here. I probably just had the, was fortunate to be early, but um, but yeah, no, I think th th that gets to a broader point too, which is this space is very large, right? I, I, and one of the things that I realized very early on, I mean, because a lot of people were very skeptical. I mean, because when I when I watched the pay version of trajectory, you know, this model didn't really exist. I mean, there'd been like there'd been newsletters on Wall Street and stuff like that. Like they literally they literally like printed them out and mailed them to you. And you pay like like they still they're still around. You pay like twenty five thousand or thirty thousand dollars a year for these. And this idea of sort of doing high volume, taking advantage of services like Stripe to sort of like serve a broad audience, uh, it really rests on this idea that the internet is way bigger than you think it is. And you go back to twenty thirteen, and like there was widespread dismissal of or, or twenty fourteen, I should say, of when I went of when I started offering for pay from in tech and a lot of people like hey love that you're trying this but man i just you know i want you to really think about this da, 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 da. You, you should do whatever and that i just wanted a thousand subscribers right and so it's 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 interesting how you know of course that was wildly uh pessimistic but i think it's pessimistic i think you were also wildly pessimistic in that there's there's not i don't have it covered right like there's there's plenty of room for lots of people doing that and now we see a, a bunch of people t writing about this sort of stuff, and it's great. It's awesome. I love to see it. And every time that anyone sort of puts a limit on a business based on the size of the internet, they're basically always wrong. And and I think that that is sort of a, a broad takeaway from this sort of stuff. What's the the line there? The internet's bigger than you think it is, even when you think that the internet's bigger than you think it is, or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I I was I was way more optimistic, obviously, than lots of people. But when I started Strategy, I had a five-year plan, right? I'm going to, you know, my goal in five years is that this is going to be my business. And it became my business in a year. And in part because things like social media are so unbelievably powerful. And the, you know, the, the reason why social media is so beneficial to writers, and a lot of writers don't get this, they like, they spend too much time on Twitter, uh, frankly. The reason why social media is so powerful is if you have a word of mouth business, then your readers getting a platform is the best thing possible. And so that's the power. The power of social media is what it enables your readers to do as far as sharing your stuff. It's not about you being on Twitter. Like if you, if you have great stuff, save it for the newsletter, right? Like, uh, you know, and let your readers take care of your marketing for you. And I, that was the one where I didn't fully appreciate how powerful that was. Like, like, uh, you know, Strecker sort of took off and got a large audience in a way faster time than I realized. And, and that was the biggest reason why. Was that a groundswell of a lot of smaller people? Was that some bigger people started tweeting about it early on? Were, were there like kind of big inflection points or was it just repeated people saying, oh, this is really smart? There's been one inflection point in Strategy's history, which was, so I started out, my, one of my big inspirations for Strategy was John Gruber and Daring Fireball, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the Apple blogger. And, but he had started, um, he actually doesn't get uh, enough credit i think for some of his stuff he did where he sort of invented the in-feed advertisement and it was funny because he had this you know he had this situation where he was charging for an s feed so he was actually doing the subscription thing too and then google reader came along and google didn't support authentication in rss feeds so he's like well i'll put ads in my rss feed and people are reading through because he had all these little articles right so people read 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 one of them is an ad and it's a, it's an engaging ad that you're reading just like, you know, obviously feed advertising became a huge thing, but this was back in like, you know, the, the, the two thousands. And so, um, I knew that wasn't going to work for me. Number one, I write long pieces. I don't write a bunch of short pieces. I, I, I experimented with that. Not that good at it. Um, but number two, the advertising market was not in the place it was in the two thousands. Right. And so just the, uh, that, that wasn't going to be an opportunity. And so I had to do, uh, and so I had to, I planned to do the subscription thing, but anyhow, that's long and short. He was the inspiration. So I started Shatekery. And I'd been going at it about a month or, or, or six weeks or so. And uh, I purposely did not reach out to him because I wanted there to be a lot of content on the site. And, you know, said just said like one article, I'm sure he gets a million sort of pitches or whatever. And I was actually in the hospital uh, getting my appendix taken out. I can remember it very clearly. I was, I was thinking I had just gotten a cat, a cat scan or whatever, or, 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 and I was ready to go in. And, um, and I just like I had nothing to do. And I was listening to a podcast of him with someone else. And he was talking about, oh, he'd been like an editor at the school newspaper and his background, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, hey, I had a similar background. Always wanted, you know, wish I would have done it more out of college, but I'm doing it now. Here's my new site. You can check it out. Da, da, da. <clears throat> uh, heard nothing back from him. And so then uh, it was uh, a few weeks later, 
And I got an email from him out of the blue saying like, hey, you misused this word. I think it was like jibe, jive, and like there's three words that are very similar. And he's like, I screw this up all the time. He's like, I actually had, I actually have like a text expander shortcut that fixes it for me. <laughs> but he's like, this is the etymology of the words. Blah, blah. If you, if you've ever read Gruber, that's very on brand for him. Right. And that was all the email said. And so I'm like, oh, well, I think I'm going to get a link soon. And so Gruber has long articles. And then he has all these short links. I'm like, I'm going to get a short link. He's going to link to an article. It's going to be great. So I was sitting on, on, on Google, uh, on the uh, analytics, you know, waiting, waiting for the hit to come. He drops a piece. It's not a short link. It's actually an article. And he goes out, he's like, this is the best news site I've read in years. And he's like, you should read this, this article, this article, this article. And it's like 200 words of just like, you know, uh, of kissing my wren. And then he gets to the end of it. And he's like, but for the first time, I disagree with Thompson. And then he spends like a thousand words saying like I was wrong about something. Um, but that I had at the time, I had 500 Twitter followers. And in 24 hours, it went five to 1500, which I mean, today doesn't sound like anything, but relatively speaking it was a 300 percent increase and that was the uh that got a that's that was sort of the that opened me up to a bunch more people um because you know a lot of people in tech is, is you know read gruber and that was in the center of like when the iphone was everything and so he was like ground zero and that was the one sort of leap that i had and since then it's just been sort of linear growth i mean i have 200 some thousand followers for now but there was no there was no moment like that. That was sort of the big one that, that got me off the ground. So I, I, I loved on the story because I, I, he gets all the credit in the world. I now do a paid podcast with him um, called Dithering. And uh, yeah, it, it made a big difference for sure. And Ben, you were pretty purposeful in the early days, right, of, of this was going to be subscription and this is how you're going to monetize. And that, that was like a very intentional thing that you thought this could be a scalable business and you would be able to build around subscriptions and paid. Yeah, that was the that was very much the plan. I mean, I, Stripe had just come. I mean, when, when did their product launch? Two thousand eleven, I think. Um, yeah. And so uh, this, I felt like there was an opportunity here to do the subscription model. I mean, you just do the math in your head. The whole like one thousand two true true fans. Um, that was that was sort of my my, my goal and my thinking. And so it, it took a a couple. The first couple weeks of Shakri, I was sort of figuring out the model of like content. But that'd be very clear. One, I'm definitely best at these long form pieces. Two, I'm not going to do too many. I want to do at most two a week. And because I had seen, I think around that time, Andrew Sullivan gets a lot of credit because he did um, he did a subscription uh, offering and it worked very well. The problem was his blog was like a, just a, like someone on Adderall, like and an average, it was like the combination of Adderall and advertising producing like, he's putting out like 25 things a day, right? And he burned out. Um, but also that was a model that worked well with advertising, right? You just put out a ton of content. People are always going there. You know, the Gruber, the Gruber model would have made sense, I think, for, for, for Andrew in that, in that regard. And so then he put up a paywall and then the paywall is like, you were punishing your best customers. And if you, it, it was too, it was a lack, it wasn't stringent enough for your, for his casual customers. It was too stringent for his best customers and just kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. He still grossed like a million dollars a year his first year. Like it was it, like people pointed to it as a failure. It was a massive success. He just burned out. Um, and so when I started and I saw that, I'm like, well, I want to be very intentional about my content where when I watch the, the subscription product, I want it to be, uh, people are excited about it where it's like you get more. So I really wanted to have that sense of getting more instead of me cutting you off. And so that was the idea. And then the, the metric that I was looking at was number of visitors to the homepage on days I didn't post. Cause to me, that was people, they're typing intertechery into their browser. They're clicking a, a bookmark, hoping that I wrote that day and they were, and so I, they were disappointed. But in this case, it was a disappointment that I could alleviate. I could give them something in the future. So they were, they were disappointed ahead of time, as opposed to like, I drop a paywall. They're like disappointed after the fact. And so. Uh, once this number got pretty large, <clears throat> that was sort of my goal. And then I would give them more. The way I gave them more was kind of a mess. I built this whole complicated website where I was going to do like uh Gruber style, like lots of links and co sh short commentary. That was a disaster. Like the actual implementation was very poor and I knew it. And so I tore it all out over a weekend and then said, no, I'm just going to email you uh, if you want more. So I, I had the subscription model in mind, but I absolutely sort of backed into the email thing. Uh, delivering it via email. And it's so funny that people came along being like, oh, Ben invented email or paid email newsletters. I'm like, well, I invented the paid part, but I got very lucky on the newsletter part because it was, it was, uh, it was sort of backing into it. And so, uh, 
And so, yeah, that, that, that was that, but it was very intentional. And I think that being intentional up front helps a lot, it, it, particularly, you know, getting the, again, I'm a big fan of sort of getting that alignment. And, um, then I, Becky, I think you, you actually, you understate your decision making because when I was observing not boring, I think it was a similar thing, right? You, 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 you spent that year, that little bit before you made it your job, sort of figuring out what worked for you, what the content was good for you. And then once you figure out the subject matter, then the business model that made sense. And again, that's where magic happens. Like when you have all the sort of pieces that make sense and they're all aligned. And uh, and so, yeah, the, 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 that's that's the uh, that is a long answer to a short question. Yeah, no, 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 it's super helpful. Packy, maybe maybe take us through that that what Ben was just alluding to of how this came to be for for people. I know you've told this story before, but maybe give a quick primer for people on like how you thought about this initially. I know both your wives were pretty inspirational in, uh, in encouraging you to pursue this path. Yeah. Well, no, she wasn't very she wasn't very uh, excited when I when I quit my job. I'll, I'll tell you that much. But uh, from my perspective. I did want to live in Taiwan, and so that that was a that was a reason to find a non traditional job. But sorry, not not to jump in. But sorry, go no, ahead. no, no. I mean, yeah, for for me, that's when I ended up uh, finally putting advertising on. It was was many many months in when she was like, "Are you ever going to make money off of this thing?" But before that, <laughs> yeah, we were you know in in her parents' basement. It was a uh, kid on the way. It's super fun. But before that, to your point, you know, I'd, I'd started exploring. I did a year while I was still working, where I was just doing kind of the links and occasional essays and and all of that. Went full-time at the beginning of COVID, started writing some essays, and the things that took off were like comparing, uh, you know, Schumpeter's Gale and Creative Destruction to the Mickey Mouse Club, or uh, a Hey Arnold episode to like the oversupply of virtual events that people were throwing and why, like, if there's this oversupply in both virtual events and oil, people don't want it and, and price falls and the whole thing falls apart. And as I was writing those, I was starting to get a good reaction from people, but I couldn't picture anywhere in the world somebody going to their boss and saying, Hey, I'm reading this newsletter called not boring. There's all these cartoons and memes and everything in it. And I need to put this on my corporate card and expense this. Uh, and so, you know, now I can afford to pay $8 a month, $10 a month, whatever it ends up being because my company is paying for it. And because of that, and the original plan was to do subscription, but then I just kind of kept writing and kept pushing it off and got a little bit addicted just to continuing to grow. And then finally, I, I think it was probably six months into going full-time through a, a sponsor deck out on the internet after I'd done a little survey of the audience and was able to fill up kind of the next uh, three months kind of through the end of the year with advertisements, just regular advertisements for the newsletter. One thing led to another. I did a sponsored deep dive on, I think, uh, on Main Street and then Ramp and then Pipe. Uh, and then just that started snowballing. The first time I, I did one of the sponsored deep dives, I thought I was going to get a bunch of hate mail from people saying, I can't believe you're such a sellout. And I think the thing that worked is one, to your point, it's a peek behind the curtain that people don't often get into these companies, but two, it's not like I had been this like deep cynic, uh, and I was ripping companies apart five days a week. And then the two days that they're paying me, I'm like, actually, you know what? Like, this is a really, uh, wonderful business that they're running over here. And so I think my kind of dumb optimism just kind of fits the, the angle and fits that model pretty well. Well, the thing too, I actually think from your perspective, opening the fund and doing investments, actually, I think it's it, it, it's affirmative of what you're doing because it's like, it's super clear. Like, obviously I'm rooting for this company. Obviously I think it's a good thing. And it almost would be odd if you weren't investing. Whereas like, like uh, uh, with my model, I don't invest in it. I, I'm in index funds. I do no startup investing. And that's kind of aligned with, look, you're going to pay me money because I'm giving you my best thought on it. And I have like, this is just, you know, sort of objective. And so I I think that's a a thing where it's not just that you're taking advantage of it, but me as a reader, I like the fact you're invested in these companies because it's not like I'm expecting you to be, you know, it's a startup. You're, you're, you don't have the details. I'm not expecting objectivity anyway. And so again, that's, that's, that's part that gets at what what I love about, about your model in particular. It's, and the fact you're not subscription again, I love what I, I love the subscription business. I'm so proud of the model. Like I, when I die someday, I'll be proud of Shatekri, but I'll be equally proud that this model exists and so many people make a living off it. But I admire what you've done in large part because it's not the model. And also because, again, I just keep coming back to it. Like if you can get that alignment between your business model and your audience expectations and what you're good at, like that, that's that, that, that's where magic happens for sure. 
I appreciate it. I mean, I think, yeah, the, the the burden kind of shifts further up to what I choose to invest in and write about. And I'd actually say the writing about filter is even higher than the investing filter because it has to pass, pass both. Yeah, because then, then other company. people see it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, other people see it. Is this a company both that I think is a good business, but also that like people are going to want to read? There's plenty of businesses that Logan might invest in that like just wouldn't make particularly compelling newsletter topics. And so, uh, you know, I think it does shape a little bit of it, but I'm making that decision kind of upfront. And then from there, it's like, hey, I'm all in for this company. I'll point out where I think there's some challenges. Obviously, I don't want to just say that this is going to save the world, uh, even though sometimes I do. Uh, but yeah, hopefully I've done a lot of the screening and vetting ahead of time so that once I dive in and write, I'm really saying like, here, this is why I got so excited about this business. Yeah. And, and I don't know, Logan, you can answer this question because I don't know Packy personally, um, you know, really before this podcast, but I get the impression as a reader that the other bit of alignment here is that writing in this sort of positive, affirmative way matches sort of his personality, right? And I get a lot of personality out of his pieces co coming out, which again, I think is another sort of great fit there. Totally. Yeah. I, I think it would be, it would be weird to do anything but what he's doing. Right. If it was, right. I mean, I think he's going to be super dry. Like, 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 I, I like, I, I'm like, I'm like racked with doubt. Right. Like I, I like, I want to like, well, maybe it's, I want to like make sure I've steel man my argument. You consider this. If I write, if I write a strong opinion, the next day is always, here's why the strong opinion is wrong. <laughs> right. And so like, yeah, they, like there's just a, that, and that's a better match for me. And so uh, that, that, I'm not surprised to hear that. No. It, and it's a hundred percent. I think what's so interesting about what you guys are doing is like, honestly, on almost every vector, you sort of exist at outer ends of the spectrum, right? It's so business model subscription versus advertising, like uh, explicitly biased versus objective and unbiased, right? It's sort of outside in versus inside out. It's news oriented versus interest oriented. And so I just think the the that the fact that both I mean, everything in the Internet ultimately uh, barbells, right, in some way, shape or form. And so you guys are honestly like pioneering. I mean, Ben, you have and Packy, you are uh, these two different approaches. And so I think oh, yeah, just just the other thing to sort of to sort of double down on this is I mentioned before about how large the Internet is. And the mistake that anyone who is a f used to the analog world makes is their uh, they're, they're used to their sort of being a depth of opportunity. And so you, like, for example, if you want to be a sports columnist, well, there was a lot of sports columnist job. You'd be a sports columnist in in New York, you'd be a sports columnist in Boston, you'd be a sport, sports columnist in Madison, Wisconsin, right? You're not going to make as much money or get as many readers, but Hey, it's a job. Uh, and you mentioned the Bill Simmons point. Like once Bill Simmons came along, there was one Bill Simmons, right? And everyone read him, but the the change in opportunity was there's a lot of people that tried to imitate Simmons, right? It could be the sort of the fan point of view, and I'm gonna do news and I'm gonna you know do an email bag and stuff like that. And and they were like painful to read because they weren't as good as Simmons. They were also so transparently trying to be Simmons. And it's like, why would I want to read a facsimile when I can when the real thing is literally a click away? Well, with the opportunity of the internet, the opportunity of the internet is a horizontal one. The the key to success on the internet is not competing with the big fish. It's that you have the opportunity to create a pond anywhere you want to, and you can create that pond that's perfectly suited to your capabilities, right? And so, like, again, I think it's great for you to have me and Packy on here, or Packy and I on here at the same time, because it's a perfect example. We're nominally covering the same thing, and yet no one in the world is ever going to, like, does anyone think of us as being competitors? No. Like, and and why? Because Packy writes, a, a, a Packy, Packy dominates the Packy pond. I dominate the Ben pond. And lots of other people dominate their ponds. And that's, and you see that not just on, on writing, but the internet generally is the opportunity is a horizontal one. If the internet provides an incredible amount of breadth where you can build a niche again, because that audience is so large and, and people that think that see the limitations, of the opportunity, it's because they see, well, yeah, everyone, everyone's could be with Bill Simmons. How can you be with Bill Simmons? Well, you can be with Bill Simmons by Zach Lowe comes along and he does all these video breakdowns. And it's like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like I understand basketball to a degree that I never did previously. And and now you have lots of you know low imitators. But there's people but now the thing about the low model is, well, you can have that on a per team basis, right? What team does not want the guy who's breaking down videos about their specific team? And so that's a further defined pond that's a new sort of approach to content that takes advantage of the internet. It's a combination of text and video, but it's it's defined by, you know, it's it's a narrow, narrow, narrow niche. 
And sorry, that, that's just a long, but this, this, this thing about the depth versus breadth is an important thing. One of the things that I talk about with venture firms in general is, and I use this controversial analogy just because it, uh, it, it gets people leaning forward in the conversation, but it used to be, I, I compare like the pre-2008 days to broadcast television where you were trying to broadly appeal in a very thin way. I love Lucy gets made and happy Omar gets, or happy, uh, uh, happy days get made and all of those shows get made because you want to appeal to as broad a group as yep. possible. You're building the, the lowest common denominator that reaches as wide as possible. Sorry, this is one of my favorite fat things. I mean, well, like the whole economy aligned to snap to broadcast TV. You had PNG making brands that appealed to the lowest common denominator or the broadest common denominator. You had big box retailers that then sold shelf space that would align with the PNG advertising and TV. You had people driving cars to the big box retailers and and all those industries, the car industry, the big box retail industry, the CPG industry, they ran ads on TV. It was it, it was this perfectly aligned model that entire segments of the society were predicated on there being three broadcast channels. And the the the, the degree to which that is the case is still underappreciated. People are like why is TV still going on? Like, who watches TV anymore? It's because we have all these massive companies that are so locked into this model. The model actually persists. If you were starting from scratch, would you have P&G? Would you have these companies? No, you would have a completely different approach, but they're so big and have so much sort of, uh, what's we're looking for? Uh, momentum. What's that for momentum? Would you just keep going? Uh, uh, inertia that, it actually leaves this structure in place for far longer. People have been predicting the death of TV for 25 years. Still hasn't happened. And uh, and it's because you have all this sort of inertia behind it. No, and that's the analogy I'll draw to the venture industry as well, is the broadcast television days were the days of, you know, to, where you could just be broadly appealing to uh, a narrow subset. And the analogy I use now in the venture world is, like, uh, you don't, we don't live in a ranked choice uh, primary process, right? Jeb Bush loses, Donald Trump wins. It's better to be deeply appealing to a narrow subset than it is broadly appealing, but kind of milk toast in that way. And so I think we're sort of seeing it in the venture industry as well. And it's true of, you know, we're seeing these healthcare specific early stage funds getting started, or we're seeing Packy start with not boring and have all the distribution, right? Or we're seeing FinTech only late stage funds that all their LPs are or banks, right? And so if you're not going to be thought of for something, you're going to be thought of for nothing. And something that I think venture firms in general are sort of existentially thinking about of like where we exist in this whole spectrum, right? And so it's it's true of broadcast television. I mean, it's true of CPG. I think everything's sort of going through this in some way, shape or form enabled by the internet. And yet at the same time, if you're still Sequoia, you you have so much brand, like it's like Sequoia is like the PNG right and everyone knows who you are and you still have you and so you can you can coexist but if you're a new venture fund you shouldn't say I'm going to be the next Sequoia like that, that the, 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 you're 50 years too late for that 100 percent and coming full full circle so that first piece that I wrote on on some of your pieces I had this big block quote uh, and I believe it was from the what Clayton Christensen got wrong piece and the quote was. Differentiation based on design, which, while it can't be measured, can certainly be felt by consumers who are both buyers and users. It's time for the theory to change. And I think, like, I don't know, obviously, aggregation theory is what you're best known for. But on the Internet, I think it's kind of aggregation theory, number one. And then the point that you're making now around kind of differentiation, number two. And if you're not differentiated, like I almost think you want differentiation at all costs, even if it means you're going to be worse, but maybe even across the board. It's almost like a uh, comparative advantage in, in economics that even if you're worse across the board, as long as you're different, there's something better to that, uh, than just trying to be the same thing. Uh, even if you think you might be able to outcompete, you, you need to be willing to forego stuff, right? Like, um, the, I, I realized at some point that even though I was getting like, well, the startup, the startups is a great example, right? People, you know, I just didn't cover startups basically at all, unless they were late stage or there was like some clear, interesting strategic implication where you didn't necessarily need to know the financials, but then something like Uber came along where there was a lot of interesting stuff there. And honestly, uh, I would have been nice to have known, have known the financials to a greater degree than I did. Right. Especially because, you know, in retrospect, a lot of the stuff that Uber put out publicly ended up being, uh, wrong as a generous way, I think way to put it. And so, and so that was sort of a lesson where, look, I like people get, they're like, Oh, you know, I wish Ben, can you write about startups? Can you not write about X, Y, Z? And it's like, I understand that you're bored 
about me writing these companies and to an extent like writing about like you meant you know right like washington and politics i got sick of that too right but there's an extent where at the end of the day like there's a like someone has to write about facebook and someone has to write about att and app tracking transparency and that's kind of my thing and if you're sick of hearing about it go repack it like and that's okay you have to be okay with that right like like you know look i'm th- that that's my niche i'm going to cover the hell out of it and and i have to be okay that that means that some people are going to get tired of it or bored of it or whatever and and that you know uh you go to not boring if you're bored so that it, 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 it all works out i mean i think it, and i think of like my model the risk on on mine is you know had i been writing when uber was in its heyday there would have been a lot of glowing articles about Uber. And it, I, the, the test that I always put myself through and I fail every time I run this through my head is if Elizabeth, Elizabeth sorry, is if Elizabeth Holmes had reached out to me, there's no way I wouldn't have writ, written a glowing article on Theranos. Like, that's just so cool. Full blood test in a, a prick of blood. Like, that, that's amazing. That's revolutionary. And so that's the downside to my model. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to get wrecked at some point here in a downturn or whatever else. There will be one or two companies that I've written glowingly about that end up not working out at the very best and and maybe even worse at the very worst. Uh, and so that's just something that I need to be kind of comfortable with, I think, going into it. Yeah, I, 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 I've I very fortunately uh, avoided the, the Theranos trap. Um, but I think what you have to do, but, but, but I felt the same way when it blew up. Like, oh, thank God. Like, <laughs> I, I'm glad I didn't get in that one. But um, I think what works is, and this is a, a an amazing message that like the mainstream media has gone the opposite direction, which is when you screw up, you have to go over the top and owning it. Be like, what? And so whenever I get even the slightest thing wrong, not only do I always correct it, but I will walk, I'll spend a whole segment saying, this was my thought process. This is how I ended up saying this sort of thing. And sometimes I just, I, I, rarely I, it was a factual thing and I feel terrible with those. I'm like, I I just, I, how did I do that? Uh, usually it's like a, some sort of cognitive bias where it's like, look, you know, it, obviously, you know, if you have a model of the world, which is, you know, the, the foundation of what you write, you're always susceptible to confirmation bias where it's like, oh, look, here's an example that perfectly fits my model. Right. And, and then you sort of, you miss something on the other side. Sometimes you're just unlucky. Like, um, what probably one of my worst things was we work, uh, you know, I was very optimistic on them and I actually still them like i think the it was i think it was right they just over they just went too far and if they had come along i mean they're still i, I think they're still they're actually doing decently now right because covid yeah. comes along you have this whole sort of work from home it's like the thesis was right but the timing was wrong it's like a startup right that could be the case with an article where you have like your thesis was actually right the timing or circumstances were wrong you're gonna be right eventually but in the meantime it's very painful because like like at the end, this is a packing newsletter. It's a Ben newsletter. So I have to own it if I, and that's the most important thing for a reputation is like, look, I, I, I own it. I'm sorry. I, I screwed up. I mean, WeWork would have gotten the, it gotten away with it too if it weren't for that damn S1. Like they were so close. I mean, in the public markets would have crushed them and all of that, but they were so close to pulling off that IPO. I don't know. Without the self-dealing and all that, it seems like that's where they really soured was all the little bullshit around the edges. And I think the public markets actually would have been receptive. Well, the funny thing about about my super positive article is in there, I said I would not invest in this company because of all this bullshit. And so it's funny. It's it's really funny because that article actually was was I think was it was mostly right. I was right in the model being really interesting. I was right in the long term, like trends favoring it. I was right to say, don't invest in this company because there's all this bullshit going on. It was a weird thing where I screwed up in the tone. Like it was just, it was in part of it was, this is always a danger. Everyone was so down on it and like, like the temptation to be contrary and like get it right. And, And it's annoying because they, it failed for the exact reasons that I said, but I have to admit. I, you know, I stuck those in to be clear. And I, I, I wasn't like, you know, just the tone was wrong. Like that was, is a weird one where I was wrong because of the tone and, it, and I was wrong. I accept it, but accepting it is important. So, but this is where I think Packy benefits from being an optimist in some ways is like when, yeah, he's I, more I, of a pass on it. Time, <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if, 
if we're investing in a company and it has a 20% chance of success, you better have five or six of those because you're going to look, even if your mental model is right on it, right? And you're saying, hey, 20% chance this is going to be Stripe. 80% of the time, you're going to look stupid. And so internalizing when there's only one outcome, internalizing probabilities of things like that, like you gave all the caveats on the WeWork thing. And so it just cynicism always looks better in hindsight than the optimistic outcomes look. And so the ball goes further when you're right than zero is when you're wrong. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, and from an investor perspective, no, I think that that's spot on. And I think that's a really great point to make. And this is, I think, Packy, you don't need to worry about something blowing up because I think anyone who reads you understands you're dealing with venture capital dynamics, which is yep. most of these companies are, are should fail. Right. And so but if one hits it big, it, it makes up for all of them. And I think this is just a, an issue where I was a little out of my box because I mostly do public companies. And at that point, they've already succeeded, right? And so whenever whenever I'm a little outside that, that's where it gets riskier. And I think that was that was probably an example there. But then again, we had the S1. So um, whatever. It is it is what it is. I didn't I didn't expect to get out of here talking about WeWork, but I guess I brought it on myself. So that that emotion that you feel, I mean, I, I don't know how you guys are feeling about this, but seeing just Twitter and seeing VCs and public market investors and everybody right now talking about like how obvious it was that things were going to crash and how they've luckily been responsible, but most of the other investors have not been responsible. And like this whole thing that's going on right now where everybody is just so unbelievably bearish and like kind of smug almost. It makes you want to just write the opposite piece over and over and over again. To be clear, this isn't about Twitter specifically. This is on Twitter. VC saying the market's gone down and all that. Yeah. Everyone is always sort of right in, in hindsight, for sure. So I think there's a lot in here about getting a start, inventing the format, subscription model versus advertising, being super positive versus being more reserved and more constrained within your niche, um, and then maybe being wrong in hindsight, but then owning it. Uh, I think there's a lot here for content creators. Uh, these two are the best in their game, respectively, and it's just amazing that we get to listen in. This next part is explicit advice for creators. This is probably the most valuable part, and maybe I should have put it up front, but I guess count this as a little reward for listening along 36 minutes into the podcast. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that that look to both of you in terms of what you're doing and your process and all this stuff. Are, is there advice for people? I mean, I guess myself included to some extent, but do you all have advice for people that want to create and do look at you guys? Taki, have you come up with anything of just advice for people to build on some of the things you guys have done to date and ways to stand out? I mean, I think it's a lot of the things that we've talked about today, frankly. It's Find the thing that you're uniquely either qualified to talk about, which I m might not have been, or at least passionate enough to kind of continue to show up and do the research and do the work and, and all of that until you can get good. Probably find your own kind of voice and maybe medium, maybe business model. I'd say experiment a whole hell of a lot in the beginning while nobody's watching, which I was lucky enough to be able to do because practically nobody subscribed to the newsletter for over a year. Uh, and then like, if you you know if you can stick with it for over a year without making any money on the thing and you still show up every week and do it and you love doing it that much i think there's probably something there but uh, i don't know it, it i would say there's not a shortcut and you have to do a just an absolute shitload of work to to be able to make it happen but have as much fun as possible kind of on the way and experiment with different things and and to kind of what ben and i've been saying the whole time and, and what ben's kind of called out just like find that alignment in the whole thing that you do, the topics that you write about your own voice, because if you talk in somebody else's voice, it gets even harder to show up and write every day or every week or whatever. Uh, and then make sure that kind of the whole, the whole stack of what you're doing, uh, aligns with, with things that you believe in and, and are interested in. I, I agree with all those points. I think the most important bit is, is the bit about making your own pond. Like, like you, you, that's the opportunity. Like, I think, for example, there should be a daily newsletter about every single major tech company. Like, there should be a daily Amazon newsletter. There is a daily Apple one. Uh, there should be one about Google. Like, there, like, there's little stuff that happens that is actually pretty impactful. And I, I have, I have, uh, you know, I have, a, I, I have a, an outline where I just put links in of stuff that happens. I have tons of stuff that I that, and I try to pull it all in once I. Oh, I'm writing about Facebook. Let me pull in a bunch of stuff that I've that has been building up or Amazon or whatever it might be. Um, so, and what's, I think in some respects, Chatechery is a bad example for everyone. 
because I have kind of the dream gig, right? I sit at home and I write about the most popular tech companies that everybody knows about, right? And everyone's like, oh, would that be great? But it's, it's like, I'm like the most competitive market on earth. Everyone has an opinion on the big tech companies, right? Everyone. And, and so I was lucky that I was early. And so there was no one else doing what I did. But part of that is what you can do too. I identified an opportunity in the market, which was you had all these sites that wrote about products. You had Wall Street that wrote about results. And there was this big gap in the middle that no one talked about. And so that was like sort of the, the market opportunity that I saw. But just because I'm in that market doesn't mean there's not lots of other markets available, right? And so um, where if you want to write about the same thing everyone's writing about, you're competing on your ability to generate differentiation on your own. And that's exceptionally difficult, right? And even today, like I, I, I now have the benefit of inertia and, and, you know, have, have been around and have lots of readers and uh, people give me, like, give me feedback, which is like its own sort of like, like, like uh superpower. And so if you're just starting out, say, I want to, I want to write Strecker 2.0, like good luck. Like I mean, you're, you, if you want to succeed right now, the same stuff I do, your content is going to be so unbelievably exceptional and, and even then you it, it's going to be it's going to be tough right and so because i'll just link to you say hey look at this great thing that i wrote and let me add a couple of things to it um and so so uh so that but you don't you can define like you you get to define your market it's this isn't the old newspaper model where i'm the sports columnist in new york and you're trying to take my job right go be a sports columnist in boston go be a sports columnist in la right like there's 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 lots of opportunities there that's number one but then so it's really define your market Number two, uh, and this is a life advice in general, you always want to double down on what you're good at. People spend too much time trying to uh, to to ameliorate their or like take care of their weaknesses or address what it is. I think, Packy, you've kind of like you're you lean. You're the best golden retriever on the Internet, right? Like you lean into that. Right. And um, I would be terrible at that if I was trying to do that. And, you know, this goes back to almost like why I charge less money, like. Everything about my life and business is all about as long as I write four pieces a week that are decent, then everything else works out. Right. And I just said, if I keep up on that and I try to everything else in my life that I'm not good at or I'm bad at or whatever, like, like I, I try to, to, to outsource or someone else to do like all those sorts of things. And, and obviously when you start out, you're doing everything right. So you have to, you, you have to ameliorate your weaknesses, but you want to find an opportunity and a career and a job that is doubling down on what you're getting. And so in my case, just go back to, I read fast, I write fast, and I have a good memory, right? So writing four days a week works well for me, right? If you don't have those three things, it's going to be tough to write four days, like write every day. I, 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 and so, but you might have something else that makes sense that works. Um, and so uh, don't get too hung up on, I think number three is we talked a lot about alignment and that's why Packy and I are doing very well. I think it, you don't want to get too hung up on that early. You want to have a direction that you're going, but the biggest danger in life is having like a five-year goal, which I say is I started to struggle with a five-year goal, but uh, but th- because what's going to happen is you're going to succeed and you're going to get there and you're going to look around and say, crap, I'm totally in the wrong place. I've been so head down. I'm trying to get to this place. And meanwhile, the world went in a different direction or there's different sort of opportunities. Uh, you know, with the five-year goal checker, actually, I didn't have a five-year plan. I had, a, I want this to be my job in five years. And then we just talked about, there's a lot of adjustments and changes I made along the way. Uh, even, you know, like I said, like ripping out on a weekend, completely changing the format, what the daily update, update is. That's the approach you want to have. And, um, and honestly, people look at what Packy and I do, and this is a challenge because we're both visible figures on the internet. And so it's like, well, people are jealous. Like, well, oh, that, that looks so great. That, that looks so fun. Um, and it, it is fun. Like, I feel very fortunate that uh, this gets to be my job. It's not so fun when it's Wednesday night at 9 p.m. And my out, update is supposed to be out two hours ago. And I, I'm stuck. And I just don't know what to write about. And I'm just, like, by sheer force of will, am churning out 1,800 words about something. And, I, and not only does it suck. And I feel terrible, but I know I'm going to be absolutely miserable for the next 24 hours. Cause when I write something that I don't feel great about, I feel sick and I, I, I like, I, and I just feel, I feel horrible. And like, that's not, that, that's not, that's not very fun. Like there's, there's not everything is fun. And you know, if 
No, it's balanced out by all the good stuff for sure. To be, I'm not, I'm not trying to to beg poor here, but I think just observing friends and people in, in tech or, or people in in the world, real joy comes from being good at something. And this whole follow your passion business is nonsense. You what what you are passionate about is what you're good at, and and you talk to a twenty year old, oh, follow your passion. They have no idea what they're passionate about because they have no idea what they're good at. And so your goal in life in general should be figuring out what it is you're uniquely capable of doing, because if you can do what you're uniquely capable of doing, if you focus on your weaknesses, you double down, you don't waste time, you humiliate your weaknesses, or sorry, you double down your strengths, excuse me, you double down your strengths, you humiliate your weaknesses, you're going to end up being the best in the world and being the best, like, I don't know, like, Say you're an accountant for fintech startups, but you're the best accountant for fintech startups in the world. Whoever that person is, maybe you know who it is, Logan. I bet they're absolutely, they love life, right? And they, and they're, they're, they don't have to be a writer on the internet, which honestly, you know, being a public figure kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> no one knows who they are and they're probably making a ton of money and they love life. Like, like that's, that's the dream. The dream is being awesome at something. And with the internet, there's so many things that you can be awesome at because the market's so big and it's so broad that I think the opportunity to have joyous existences is much higher than ever before. And you don't have to do that by writing a subscription newsletter. Like there's lots of things you could do. And then this final section, I guess I'm just cramming all of them in this one podcast is about getting some prep before you launch. I think this is a optimization. You definitely don't need to do this, but I do see some of the best creators uh, doing uh, this amount of prep. Then one last thing, I guess, before we hop, I you had said something about like uh, the John Gruber thing you had said earlier about making sure you actually had a breadth of content before you started publishing a little bit. How do you how do you think about as someone's getting going on this, like the perfection? I, I tried three test episodes before I actually did a podcast. And to some extent, I wish I had done 10. <laughs> no, because you want to get it out there, right? You're, you're fine to do this work. But I mean, like just to give an example for dithering, I think we did 30 uh, before we launched. And uh, a big thing on the internet is the the most important article people will read is the second article on your site. Because like anyone can, lots of people come up with one great article, right? But then you read that article and you click around and you're like, oh, wow, that was also really good. Or in one thing I was like, Strecker yet started, I was, I thought a lot about branding. Uh, people, like I, I joke about the name, but it's, it's a memorable name. And it has the orange, and I had a custom font, which was which was rare back then. I had those hand-drawn images. And the reason was because I wanted people to show up and say, well, that was a good article. Then they would show up weeks or months later, and there'd be a sense of familiarity. I've been here before. and Because that's it's that second article where it's like, damn. like the, the, You don't see that often where you get sort of the, the, the second article that, that's really good. And so I think just, um, and and this speaks to the, you know, you don't have to be, I don't, free, I think frequency is over, it's both overrated and underrated. I think particularly when you're starting, it's very overrated. No, like your hundred subscribers are not, who cares if they show up every day, right? Especially of email or, or even Twitter, you have a way to connect with them. And so you should really take the time. It's, I don't know, and I'm kind of disagreeing myself. I want you need to iterate. You need, so you need to be regular because you need to figure it out. You need to figure out what your voice is, what your topic is, et cetera. At the same time, you don't need to copy my four days a week sort of schedule, right? Like I have a lot of subscribers now that are that are paying for that. And so I have to live up to that. But when you start, you, you I think Packy just said that you can sort of you can sort of figure that out and you should and you should take advantage of that. Now I do think once you're established, people I think the regularity is extremely underrated. It's a huge trajectory uh point of differentiation. Is people people will tell you. This is where I think revealed preference and stated preference is different. People say, oh, I don't, don't worry about doing every day. I just want you to do a good job. And I think actually, no, like people are, they have a habit. They read it the same day every time. It's always there. They don't think about it. Like 75% of our subscribers are annual subscribers instead of monthly. So like, I just have this base where I am a, a habitual part of their life. And from a business perspective, that's exactly where you want to be. Like, like you're not earning an audience with sort of every, everything you write, but I'm nine years in. Like the, you don't need to be doing that at the beginning. You like you like, and so you you have a you have a you know what is it? One chance to make a first impression on the internet is not quite right. You have a what? You have one chance to make a second impression, and that's the part that is actually uh, really important. Yeah, Packy, what do you say about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I agree there. I was consistent kind of the whole time. I would just do kind of like a weekly something, but it could have been a bunch of links. And like, you know, there was a period in my life where I went to the gym every day for, you know, X, you know, I was, when I was in much, much better shape when I was younger. But some days it would be, I'd run to the gym, I'd do a pull-up and I would leave. And it was just to kind of like make sure that I didn't break that streak. And I think it probably is a personality thing. So for me, like I just don't miss Mondays. Like I, I took one off when uh, when Devin was, our son was born. And then I was back the next week. I take holidays off and that's it. And then, you know, I'm writing Monday, I'm writing Thursday. It's not like Ben's output, but um, I think that consistency is important. But I did give myself that space in the beginning to just like throw some links out there while I was working on like a bigger essay in the back end, as long as I kind of keep that consistency up just almost for myself more than the audience in the beginning, because nobody cares. I think that's like the other big secret here. It's tougher for you to start a podcast because you have a following. It's tougher for Ben to start a new podcast or for me to try something else because we have followings. In the beginning, there's something really liberating about the fact that like nobody gives a shit about what you're doing. If it's really good, people might find it and that's great. If it's really bad, nobody cares and they're just not going to waste their time thinking about it at all. And so there is something liberating, I think, about that in the beginning. And so just take advantage, experiment, but like impose some discipline on yourself so that you don't just let it slip and let it slip and let it slip. Yeah, the, the discipline thing is is huge. I mean, like people think I'm this unbelievably productive and prolific writer. And the reality is, is I, I have four daily deadlines. And so I have four uh, instigators of panic a week. Yep. And if like I'm terrified of like writing a book on one hand, I think the, you know, my model is much more lucrative. Uh, on the other hand, I just can't, I, I would I wrote I, I wrote a, 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 a my thesis paper when I was like a senior in college. I wrote the whole thing in like a 48 hour span, like the middle of finals week. I mean, I'd done all the research. I had all the pieces and I had it all in my head. But like, I'm just not the sort of person that's going to like, oh, I'm going to sit down and do, do work, do 10 pages of my book today. Um, so there's little hacks you can do for sure. Uh, but I think just to emphasize Packy's point, it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be four days a week, but there is some value in if you can get some sort of deadline on yourself, even if it's an artificial one. And just because the other th advantage that I have is I've, I've just, I've been doing this. I, I know how to write a daily update, right? Like I, I could sit down. And there's some days I'm busy, I have stuff going on, and I can churn something out. Is it my best possible piece? No, but it's pretty good. And uh, and that's just a competitive advantage. But that only comes with sort of time. Yeah, got it. Well, that's great. All right, that's it. This is 52 minutes. So it's a very, very long mixtape. But I just thought I just might as well just get all this in there just because it's hard to stitch them together in separate little episodes. Um, these two are the best in their business. One paid subscriptions and the other advertising and chilling and I think you can't really go wrong as long as you're entertaining your audience as long as you're giving insights and you're happy with what you're making that's all you really want 